Greetings, everyone. This is Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. You gotta light them up before they burn it down. This episode of the Steadfast and Law Podcast is brought to you by our friends at the United States Concealed Carry Association. Being a responsibly armed American is both an honor and a responsibility, and it's not one to be taken lightly. If you own a gun, then you need the self-defense education, training, and self-defense liability insurance that you get with a USCCA membership. Click Learn More below right now to explore your membership options, which are risk-free with the USCCA's bulletproof money-back guarantee. Don't wait. Click Learn More right now. And as always, the USCCA is not an insurance company. A policy has been issued to the USCCA by Universal Fire and Casualty Insurance Company. That policy provides the association and its members with self-defense liability insurance subject to its terms, conditions, limitations, and exclusions. And if you've been paying attention to what happened in the case of Sergeant Daniel Perry down in Austin, Texas, that's the reason why you need to be covered by the United States Concealed Carry Association. We'll be right back. Hey, greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. And one of my dear friends, we want to have him back to get an update on, you know, the organization that he leads and also this new endeavor, this new project, a rally that is happening here in Texas. So welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast, Mark Meckler, the head of the Convention of States organization. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to be back with you, my friend. Well, I once again just want to tell you thank you so much for allowing me to come and speak at your conference last year. I think it was September down in yep. Orlando. What a great bunch of people. And, you know, the grassroots is where it really is, and that's what your organization is all about. So give us an update about what's happening with Convention of States. You know, I can always judge how well you're doing based upon the knuckleheads and the detractors that are out there, you know, <laughs> kicking up dirt and sand <clears throat> yeah there are a lot of them out there uh it's fun and it's wild out there right now things are still active in the state legislatures you know a lot of the legislatures wind down around this time of year but we've got active legislation right now pending in north carolina we've already passed the house there overwhelmingly uh we're within a couple of votes in the senate waiting for a caucus vote here in the next week or so so i think we look pretty good in north carolina iowa uh, we passed both committees in both houses we're pending on the floor. I just saw it come up this morning, actually, hot news. I think it's slated for Florida this week. So I'm pretty excited about that. I think we look really good in Iowa. And then I would say Kansas is probably the most interesting. Hmm. About a month ago, we passed in Kansas, both houses, simple majority. Kansas in the bag, except Kansas has something we call the row rule in their constitution, 
And in the state constitution, they put an impediment to calling an Article 5 convention. They required a two-thirds majority. That's unconstitutional because of the supremacy clause of the United States Constitution. And so we expect to be litigating that this summer. But I'm counting, that means Kansas, I'm counting already as number 20, number 21, possibly North Carolina, and then 22, Iowa. I don't know which of those will go first. And remember, if I'm correct, we just have to get to that magic number of 34. That's correct. So we're getting close. Yeah, you're getting close. Now, here in Texas, they have to renew that resolution, correct? How do we stand here in Texas? Yeah, so in Texas, they put something called a sunset clause in the original resolution. And so that means by next session, two years from now, it doesn't have to happen this session, but by next session, they either have to renew the call itself or remove the sunset clause or extend it. Right now, my best guess is it looks like what's going to happen is that we're going to get an extension of eight years. That's already come out of the Senate committee. I think the Senate has sent that over to the House now. And so now it's up to the House to take that up and extend by eight years. I think that's what we're going to get this session. And the key thing I want everyone to understand is that this is a resolution that says the state will support the call of an Article Five Convention of States, not Constitutional Convention. And so, therefore, this does not require a governor's signature. It's not like a piece of legislation. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, it's like naming a state library or something. It's by resolution of the state legislature. So it takes just a simple majority of both houses, no governor's signature required. So why was it that Kansas all of a sudden inserted that into their constitution? And, you know, how old is that uh, amendment they put in there specifically against Article 5? Yeah, it's a really amazing story because in 1973, we get Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. In 1974, Kansas has a package of amendments that the legislature submits on their constitution. And then that has to go out to a vote to the people. We've done a ton of research, Alan. What's so interesting is the only thing not discussed, not debated in public, is what we call the Roe rule, this idea that it takes two-thirds. It got inserted in there. Important to remember that the main doctor involved in the Roe case was from Kansas. So what they were doing was protecting Roe versus Wade. They knew that states would immediately try to overturn Roe versus Wade by calling a convention. And in fact, uh, ultimately 20 states did that, called for a convention. So they were just trying to prevent Kansas from participating in an Article 5 convention specifically to overturn Roe versus Wade. You know, again, when we look at the detractors out there, let's take some time to just reemphasize that this is not a constitutional convention. This is something in the Constitution, Article 5, which is a convention of states. Can you just quickly explain once again to the audience that difference? Yeah, this is important. You'll hear detractors call this a con-con, and they mean a double entendre by that, that we're trying to con people into destroying our convention or something, because that's what you and I are all about, Alan, right? Destroying the Constitution. Yeah, I I Uh, forget that oath that I took. Yeah. (laughs) So that's why they call it a con-con, but they also mean a constitutional convention. And when you use the words constitutional convention, it's important. We're dealing with legal language, so the language really matters. And a constitutional convention, I'm going to use a big lawyer word here, is what's called a plenipotentiary convention. In simple language, that just means it could do whatever it wants. It's all powerful. It's not bound by the United States Constitution. That is not what we're dealing with. What we're dealing with is what's called an amendments convention, a convention for proposing amendments. It does operate under the restrictions of Article 5 of the United States Constitution. All it can do 
is make suggestions. It can propose amendments that meet with the call or the application passed by the 34 states you talked about. So in our case, the application says you could talk about anything that would impose term limits on Congress, but also on other federal officials like judges, staffers, and bureaucrats. You could talk about anything that would impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, a balanced budget amendment, tax caps, spending caps. And you could talk about anything that would impose jurisdiction restraints on the federal government. In other words, things like saying, no, the federal government can't be involved in education or energy or healthcare, all the things they were never intended to be involved in. So that's how the process works when you're dealing with an Article 5 amending convention versus a constitutional convention. You know, I, I remember someone approaching me and saying that, okay, because I asked them, I said, if it's in the Constitution, then obviously the Founding Fathers left it as a tool for us to right-shape the balance between the federal government and the states. The Tenth Amendment, the last amendment in our Bill of Rights, says that all of those powers, not specifically enumerated, designated, delegated to the federal government, is reserved to the states and to the people. That's where the focus should be, understanding the sense of federalism and that we live in a constitutional republic. And, of course, the lady said, well, then why hasn't it ever been used? And I said, well, maybe we've never been in this type of situation before in the history history of, of our constitutional republic. So this is kind of the break glass in case of an emergency uh, tool that the founding fathers left us. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. I mean, you don't want to amend the constitution willy-nilly. Mm -hmm. And I would add that the founders made the bar very high. It is intended to be very difficult to do. I mean, either two-thirds of both houses of Congress proposed, which is how we've gotten our 27 previous amendments, or two-thirds of the states have to agree together. It's hard to get a two-thirds majority in any individual state legislature, let alone a two-thirds majority of all the state legislatures. And so the founders set that, by very, uh, that bar very high because they were careful. They wanted to make sure that we didn't just amend the Constitution based on some fad or societal trend. You had to build support in a multitude of legislatures over a long period of time, constituting the majority of the states. It's a difficult process, and that's intentional. And in this process, you are also building an incredibly educated and informed grassroots movement. Talk to us about that movement. Talk to us about the people that pulled together the Convention of States organization and how it's grown over the last, what, five to, to 10 years. Yeah, so we started in August of 2013, and there were just literally five of us that started. There are over five million people in support of the organization at this point. But I think the most important thing is not convention of states per se, it's that we are building the largest, most educated, self-governing army that the United States has ever seen. These are patriots that are involved in the fight. They understand how legislatures and legislation works. They understand elections. They understand election integrity. They're involved in elections, everything from the school board level on up to congressional presidential elections. They're in the fight on pretty much every issue, the Second Amendment, the border, you name it, they're involved, and we give them the training, the sophistication, the backing, the resources. They go out and do the work, and they do the things that matter to them the most. Let's switch and talk about one of those issues, and what I think that a critical issue is the border. If we do not protect our sovereignty as a constitutional republic, then we're nothing. We're just a piece of terrain in between Canada and, and Mexico and, you know, two oceans on either side. 
The Constitution is very specific uh, with the duties and responsibilities of the federal government in Article 4, Section 4. We know that is the guarantee clause, protect every state from invasion. And then it's very specific in what states are able to do, Article 1, Section 10, Clause Number 3, if actually invaded. You've got a big rally coming up on the 29th of this month, 29th of April, in Austin, Texas. What has led you to finally say that we have got to bring this issue, not to the federal government, but we got to talk about it here in this state? Yeah, really, I mean, the, the single word that I would say is complicity. In other words, what we have going on at our southern border, no matter what you think you know, and I thought I knew a lot 90 days ago, promise you, you have no idea how bad it is. Yeah. It's absolutely astounding. What's going on at that border is we really have no border anymore. The border is in complete and con total control on both sides of that border of the Mexican cartels. The human suffering is immeasurable. The United States is experiencing over 70,000 fentanyl deaths per year. That's more than all of the U.S. citizens who died in the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Every year, we're mm -hmm. losing that many. It's the number one killer of American adults between 18 and 45. And so we've got that going on, the scourge of fentanyl across our country. We've got sex trafficking going on, sla human slavery going on. And we talked about the elimination of slavery in the 1860s in the United States of America in the Civil War. We have a full-blown slave trade going on in the United States of America, most of it sexual slavery, young women, young boys. We have ranchers being overrun at the border who are having to leave their properties. Their livestock is being set free. Their water systems are being destroyed. We have our hospitals being overrun here in Texas. We have our law enforcement being overrun. We have our educational institutions being overrun. And I will tell you, even in stating all that, I'm understating the problem. It, yeah. it is impossible to understand for one human being to understand the magnitude of this. And so the question is, if the federal government's not going to do anything about it, what do we do? Do we just say it's okay? And I've had people say to me, Alan, well, you know, in a couple more years, we'll have a new administration and they'll do something. And I say, so that means... We're okay with 140,000 more people dying of fentanyl. We're okay with Lord knows how many more young girls and young boys being sold into sexual slavery, the ranchers being overrun, the hospitals being overrun. And my answer is I'm not okay yeah. on a human level with any of that. And so the question is, what do you do? And the answer is that we as Texans have to do something. You know, you hear people say, oh, Texas is going to secede from the United States. I don't believe that. I believe that Texas is going to save the United States. And the way that we do that is we do everything that's within the power of Texans to do. And you mentioned Article 1, Section 10, our uh, subsection 3. That gives us the power to do this in an invasion. The Texas Constitution, as you know, has gives us the power to act in terms of an invasion to repel that invasion. And so the goal of this rally is to educate people to understand that Texans, the Texas legislature and the Texas governor and everybody else in the Texas government have to do everything they possibly can to repel this invasion, to stem the tide and to make sure that we save not just Texas, but the whole country. You know, it's interesting because we are in a legislative session. And for those people that don't understand, the Texas has a legislative session every other year. So they will not meet again until 2025. And we are now less than 40 days before this legislative session is gaveled out. One of the priorities of the Republican Party of Texas is securing of the border, but yet nothing is passed. 
Nothing has been sent to the governor. I mean, we get a lot of lip service. There's a great bill by State Representative Matt Schaefer. I don't know if it's even made it out of committee. Why is it that we have a state with Republicans, quote unquote, I, I use that, in power as the majority, but we still have a border, 1,250 miles, that is uncontrolled? And that a terrorist organization, which is what the cartels are, are in complete operational control. Why have we gotten to this point in Texas? You, you yeah, live, I would. Yeah, I would say the leadership hasn't shown the necessary courage. And and so and I, and I do want to give kudos where it belongs. You know, I agree with you. What I've seen of uh, Representative Schaefer's bill, I was down there trying to testify on behalf of HB 20. And that's the number on the bill. It creates a Texas Border Protection Unit. It actually puts the authority over the appointment of the leader of that unit right where it belongs, which is in Governor Abbott's control. And that's, you know, I know there are people who are skeptical of Abbott. I totally understand that. But we want him to have that control because we want to be able to hold somebody responsible. I really like the bill because it doesn't put it under DPS's control. And I frankly don't trust DPS to, to do anything good on our border. So we're going to put it right in Abbott's court. It's he's either going to act or he's not going to act. And I'm hoping when that's put in that ball's put in his court, he acts. So you're right. It hasn't come out of committee. The testimony was heard. Uh, and I think it's pretty obvious that we need to do this. There are a lot of other things making uh, criminal trespass, a third degree felony that gives our law enforcement officers much more ability. Having the state through the legislature declare an invasion. I think that's really good, too. I think there there's a lot of power that comes from that. But it's it's also symbolic that the entire state legislature acknowledges this. And there are several other bills that are pending, uh, naming the terrorist, uh, the cartels as terrorist organizations, going after the financial technology companies mm -hmm. that allow this money to transfer back and forth across the border. So what I would say is there's a lot of activity, nothing across the finish line yet that makes me nervous and skeptical. But I know our grassroots are all over it and we expect reelection. And honestly, Alan, that's the reason for this rally is to go to the Capitol and say, we're done with the lip service. What we want to see is we want to see the politicians step up, take the votes, sign the bills, and then actually repel the invasion. Tell us a little bit more about the rally and my apologies. I won't be there. Uh, and I hopefully you'll accept my uh, excuse. I'll be down on the border in Kenny County. Uh, but tell us about this rally, because I think it's important that not just people from Texas. I think that you need to get people from all over the country if they can to come to this rally. Yeah, I agree with that. So it's gonna be April 29th at the state capitol from one to 4 p.m. Uh, we have opening the one, the only Ted Nugent. He's gonna perform his iconic rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. And then he's gonna say some words with good old Uncle Ted. You never know what that'll lead to. But <laughs> he's gonna be there. I'm pretty excited to have him there. Yeah. Uh, Laura Logan's gonna be there yeah. speaking about all of her experiences on the border. She spent a lot of time down there. Yeah. She's got a lot of expertise on the border. Jason Jones is going to be there. Great, you know, he's a correspondent for Newsmax. He knows as much about as anybody about what's going on yes. on the border on both sides of the border. I was just on the phone with Jason. Uh, Mark Morgan is going to be there, uh, former uh, interim commissioner of the of the Border Patrol. So we're going to have a lot of folks, people who are ranchers who've been overrun, uh, people who have lost family to the scourge of fentanyl, and the entire point of the rally. Look, it's really, it's not about pointing fingers, Alan. We know that the administration is not doing anything about this. That's a problem. The question is, what are we going to do now? And so the goal is to put the pressure on the legislature, the pressure 
on the governor, lieutenant governor, whoever else is necessary to make sure that we don't walk away from this legislative session in the same bad shape we're in right now. We're going to not only encourage them, but demand that they take the necessary actions. Have you offered to the governor, to the lieutenant governor and the Speaker of the House, uh, Dave Phelan, an opportunity to speak? You know, we have reached out to the governor's staff directly. Uh, we are in the process of reaching out to to Dave Phelan, the Speaker of the House, uh, to possibly to Matt Schaefer, uh, Representative Schaefer as HB 20, to the Lieutenant Governor. I just haven't heard anything back yet. And look, I understand, I, I'm not, I don't like this, but the politicians are always cautious. They wanna understand exactly what's going on before they agree to participate. Uh, but those invitations are definitely gonna be out there. I mean. Man, ideally, what I would love to see, like we can all criticize the politicians, and I do, but I always want to remember politicians are human beings. They're as good as what they're doing right now. So it's not what they didn't do yesterday or what they did yesterday. It's what are they going to do right now? I'd love to see Governor Abbott up on stage, sign a giant invasion declaration, yeah. endorse all this stuff, let him come out and be the hero. I know you ran against him, no. but I want to see him take the lead and be the hero right now. I'd, I'd love to see that. And I think that the entire United States of America would love to see that. So if you're making a political calculation, well, guess what the calculation is? Uh, if I come out there and show that I am going to protect the sovereignty of my own state and the sovereignty of the United States of America, when Joe Biden is not doing it, Kamala Harris is not doing it, Alexander Mayorkas is not doing it, no one is doing it, you're the guy. So I don't understand the reticence. I don't understand the recalcitrance. I don't understand the, well, we have to look and, you know, figure things out and whatever. No, <laughs> there are people that are upset. And what is the best thing that you can do as a leader? Stand in front of them, take responsibility and accountability and say, it stops here with me. And you're right. Sign a proclamation right now. You know, between now, I, I, here's the deal. Governor Abbott, if you're watching, you know, me and Mark, you know, talking right now. HB 20 should be passed between now and your rally. It should be passed in the House. It should be passed in the Senate. And there should be a signing ceremony at your rally on the 29th of April. To me, that, that, I love that's, that what, idea. Yeah. that's what should happen. I love that idea. And look, this is it's really important to me when we're talking about this. And I, I really appreciate how you approach that. I just want them to do the right thing. I can tell you we have polling coming out this week. I can't release the results quite yeah. yet, but it'll be out in the next couple of days. The vast majority of Americans want that border situation dealt with. The vast yeah. majority of Americans are completely freaked out by the cartels being in control, by the sex trafficking, by the fentanyl. They want our leadership to do something about this. Governor Abbott was on uh, Tucker Carlson's show not too long ago, maybe a you know, month and a half, two months ago, and he was told by Tucker Carlson, look, if you do this, you'll be an absolute hero. Yeah. Right? You're going to be a national folk hero. Yeah. So why would you not want to be that national folk hero? And I want people to understand, maybe I will talk about this. There are beheadings that are happening on our border. Okay, I saw this in Afghanistan. I saw this in Iraq. That's what is happening on executions that are happening on our border. And right. I'm not talking about on the Mexican side. I'm talking about on our side. And if politicians, elected officials, whatever you want to call themselves, they've been given a responsibility. We have said to them 
you know, we are putting our trust in you to protect us. And if they are showing that they cannot protect us, if, if Governor Abbott does not show up on 29 April, if HB 20 has not passed by 29 April, if, if, if it's not out of the committee, because you know how they slow walk things and they kill it, yep. uh, if it doesn't make it out of committee by a certain period of time, then I think the people here in Texas need to start looking at how do they protect and defend themselves. Yeah, look, I agree with that. And, and the theme of the rally, people can go sign up and, and uh, RSVP for the rally. We'll keep them in the loop at howmanymore.com. That's the theme is how many more. But when we say how many more, that's a question we should be asking ourselves, mm -hmm. right? We are a self-governing people. So the question is, how many more women raped along the way are we going to tolerate? How many more ranchers are we going to allow to have their property destroyed and their lives destroyed? How many more are going to die of fentanyl poisoning before this thing is over? We are complicit if we don't do something to stop it. No, you're absolutely right. And, and I'll close on this thought, and then uh, I'll, I'll give you last word. Young people get this because young people are losing their friends to this fentanyl poisoning. And this is a chemical agent that is shipped over from China. So basically, China is already killing Americans on top of yeah. what they did with the biological agent with COVID. So where can people find out, number one, more about the Convention of States? Where can people get information about the How Many More rally on 29 April at the state capitol in Austin, Texas? So Convention of States, they can find out more about us at conventionofstates.com. Importantly, the How Many More rally, go to howmanymore.com, uh, register to stay in the loop, join me, Ted Cruz, Representative Chip Roy, Laura Logan, Jason Jones, a whole bunch of experts, people who've lived what's going on down there on the border. Join us by going to howmanymore.com and RSVPing today. And Alan, God bless you, sir, man. You just keep doing amazing things. I appreciate that you're going to be down on the border that day. Well, I'll be thinking of you all down there. And thank you for bringing that to the Capitol because it has to go to the doorsteps. And hopefully, as we said, HB 20 will get passed and it'll be signed into law right there in front of you all at your rally. Thank you, Mark, for all that you do. You're a dear friend. You're a great American patriot. And anytime I'm willing to stand beside you and create that phalanx to protect this great republic. God bless you, my friend. All right. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining us on this episode of the Steadfast and Law podcast. Special thanks to my good friend Mark Meckler, the head of Convention of States, for joining us. And if you like this podcast, please click that like button, share it with others. And until next time, steadfast and loyal. Before they burn it down.